I Could Murder a Cocktail, Episode 8, The Murder of Cindy James. Hi, and welcome to I Could Murder a Cocktail, Episode 8, The Murder of Cindy James. Uh, the cocktail we'll all be drinking and have prepared today is the Canadian Maple Leaf Drink, the ingredients of which are whiskey, lemon juice, maple syrup poured over ice. Should we all give it a try? Yeah. Now, I don't have a maple leaf drink. I have a whiskey sour because... I'm in local lockdown, and the spa doesn't have maple syrup. I was wrong to think it would, but they didn't. So I'm having a whiskey sour. And I am, I have golden syrup because I didn't have maple syrup. I thought it was going to be disgusting, but it's actually not. It tastes pretty similar to what I thought it would. So. And I'm just drinking the actual cocktail, and it tastes pretty good. It is just a whiskey sour, really, though. This. <laughs> Good. I whoever feel like slapped... I'm not missing out too much then. Mm. Whoever I slapped do... Canadian maple leaf drink on this drink was like, how do we make a whiskey sour Canadian? Mm, <laughs> maple syrup. <laughs> okay. So, I don't know. Have either of you heard about the murder of Cindy James? I've never heard oh. any murders. So interesting. And I ended up watching, like, you know, like, how you get stuck in YouTube holes? And then you're like, it's 3am and you find out what breed of beer you would be. I got into one of those <laughs> and I came across this. And then I literally watched like three or four different videos about it because I just found it so fascinating. So I'll start us off. There's not much about her early life, um, but we do know that she was the eldest of six siblings from Richmond, Canada. When Cindy was 19 years old, she married Dr. Roy Makepeace, and that is a red flag. I was going to say, anyone with a nice name is a red flag. It's like, my name is Connor, not a serial killer. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we'll just all keep that in the back of our minds, shall we? He was actually 18 years older than her. And she then began working as a nurse, and it was told, it was said that she excelled at counselling children with emotional problems. I couldn't find much else about her and her early life, but everyone described her as really loving and caring and, and a really positive person. And then in 1982, she filed for a divorce from her husband, and the incident started four months later. So it wasn't long after she got her divorce that she first went to her parents and told them that she'd been receiving harassing phone calls and letters. The letters were collages of women with hands around their throats, corks and knives. So the letters would have words cut from the newspaper. So, you know, like the hostage letters you always see, like it was like arts and craft harassment. And here's one I made earlier. (laughs) Like Like on Blue Peter for death threats. (laughs) Heart attack. Today we're going to do death threats. Um, Heart attack for actual attacks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So as soon as the messages turn from just like sinister like a bit spooky to actually life-threatening she went to the police 
so they started off like I said being like a little bit spooky and like oh who could this be and then they turned into literally I'm going to kill you so despite her visiting the police the harassment continued and those that knew Cindy said that you could physically see the toll it was having on her she was always described as beautiful and vibrant but now she always appeared tired and frayed which is like not surprising because if you imagine like daily having this harassment then having to live with it like no wonder you're gonna be emotionally destroyed yeah I mean it's definitely gonna take a toll on you isn't it having to deal with that all the time yeah um so notes started appearing on her doorstep now instead of being mailed so previously they were found in her mailbox and they were either stamped as in they had been posted but then they started appearing in the mailbox without stamps so this person was obviously taking them to her house and after that then the threat started escalating one night Cindy found three dead cats hanging in her garden her porch, porch lights had been smashed and when she then tried to call the police, the phone lines had been cut, which is like the most terrifying thing, isn't it? When you think, oh, well, I'll call the police and they'll be able to help, but you have no way of doing it. Oh, it must be so terrifying. That's horror movie levels of shit. Yeah. Like, that's why I say, literally sounds like something from a horror film. It's very American horror story, Roanoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought of Scream, but... Yeah. So, um, soon after this, the physical attacks on Cindy started. Cindy's friend, Agnes Woodcock... You can laugh. Get it out of your system and then I'll carry on. Oh, bless her. <laughs> Angie, Angie Woodcock. <laughs> so. And does she? <laughs> so, one night, Agnes showed up. For a visit um she knocked on the door but cindy didn't answer cindy was known for taking long evening baths and at first agnes just thought that that's what she could be doing but when agnes walked around the back she actually found cindy crouched down in her garden looking like she was trying to hide so once cindy realized that it was agnes that was there she went over to her and Agnes saw that there was a black stocking tied around Cindy's neck. Cindy was really shaken and she told Agnes what happened, which was Cindy had gone into her garage to get something and she was grabbed from the behind. The person then wrapped the stocking around her neck and started to strangle her. The only thing that Cindy could remember was the attacker's shoes, which were just generic white sneakers. So, although obviously she's so lucky to get away with her life, it didn't really give them much in terms of evidence because she didn't see any any other physical features of her attacker and obviously white sneakers are something that's so available for everyone those days. So, what happened was when Agnes arrived, it scared off the attacker um, and that's when Cindy went to hide in her back garden. So, despite this attack, she decided to stay in her house which is like we can all judge and say like oh why didn't you just move or go somewhere else but you never know how you, you react in someone else's position do you and 
maybe she didn't have anywhere else to go or maybe she wasn't comfortable. So after this attack, the notes that came uh, were starting to get even darker and more threatening, if you can believe it. So once she went out to her car to go to work and there was one of the letters left on her windshield, which showed a corpse being pushed into a morgue creepy words all over it so they were just they were getting relentless and progressively darker Cindy even started receiving orders of raw meat sent to her home and once she arrived home to find her dog shaking as a cord had been wound around the dog's neck and it was tied to a radiator so it's got to that point now where this person has been in her home. It's like getting even more personal now. So yeah, at one point, Cindy was actually receiving daily death threats. So literally every single day, there would be at least one note, if not two or three letters left for her, which must be so exhausting to do the normal things in your life, like go to work, see your parents, come home and know there's going to be another one waiting for you. Yeah, it just sounds sort of like yeah, horrifying. It does sound like we both said con like a like a horror film. I think if you wrote this, people would go, "Oh, it's not realistic. That would never happen." Yeah, like um, about twenty twenty. <laughs> so the police didn't believe any of her stories, and they openly told her that. So. Cindy knew that she was going to have to fight for herself, which then made her move to a new house. She got her car sprayed a different colour. She changed her last name. And the only people she told that she'd moved were her parents and her friend Agnes. So she thought she was going to wipe the slate clean, do all these things, which is like, she didn't only move. She changed her car. She got a different last name. Like, she didn't tell anyone that she'd gone. And yet the threats kept happening. She did also hire a private investigator called Ozzy Caban, which I don't know if it was his real name or not, but if it was a fake name, if it is a real name, it's a snazzy name. Ozzy got started on her case, but he immediately had the suspicion that his client was holding something back. And when he went to go and talk to Cindy's parents, they agreed that they thought that she was holding back some crucial information. They speculated that Cindy might have an idea who was doing all of this but was too scared to say, which isn't a, like, that's a likely thing to happen. You wouldn't want to aggravate the situation at all, would you? It must be difficult to be in that situation, both as someone in it and someone watching it. You know, it's the same as when people are in an abusive relationship, you can't be necessarily the one to tell them to get the fuck out because they've probably already thought that. Besides trying to track down some leads, obviously find out who was doing this. Uh, Ozzy also had lights installed outside Cindy's house and gave her a two-way radio and a panic button so that she could easily reach him if the telephone line was ever cut again. Which is like, thank you, Ozzy. You seem to be the only person who's like genuinely giving a fuck and doing something. And it's just like, it's smart. Like, she won't always be able to call you. Like, he's obviously thought about this and it's something that could spare her life one day don't you? hashtag not all men <laughs> yeah exactly like, <laughs> it's, 
it honestly doesn't make a difference. One night, Ozzy heard noises coming across the two-way radio, and he obviously went straight over to Cindy's house. And when he got there, he found her lying in the hallway with a knife through her hand, and there was a note attached to it saying, you're dead, bitch. So if you, like, imagine her hand there, the note was literally on it, and the knife was through her hand with, oh... And she was completely unconscious. So again, it's like, thank God Ozzy was able to like hear that something was happening and go over because it could have been so much worse. But it must be so, so shocking. So like I said, she was completely unconscious and Ozzy thought that at first she was dead, but he did find her pulse. And she, he took her straight to the hospital. After regaining consciousness, she was able to tell the investigators that she felt someone put a needle in her arm, but she had no no recollection of the stabbing and didn't know who it was. The bleep... (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh my God, mother. I'm trying to... I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. One word at a time, (laughs) Mom. This is my dyslexia being like, you can read the whole page at once. No, one, one letter at a time. So the police believe in that Cindy actually staged the attack. Did you just stab yourself through the hand? Did you, did you knock yourself unconscious with a hypodermic needle, which you then managed to get rid of before a detective got there, though you were unconscious? Yeah. So it's like, okay. oh, no, we won't believe that you're getting all these death threats, you're doing it stuff yourself. No, we won't believe that you were drugged, you're doing it yourself. You stabbed yourself in the hat. Like, what? <laughs> the police would rather believe this woman's making it up than take her seriously. She was but unconscious. Like, she, she, like, she moved house, it followed her, she changed her name, and this is all still happening. She's been stabbed, she's unconscious, and they're like, doesn't look particularly suspicious. It's like, what do they want to happen? I know. I well, you know what they want to happen, don't you? How suspicious? Suspicious as fuck. Yeah. Oh, that's going to have to be on some merch soon. <laughs> um, so because they thought that she staged the attack, they didn't take fingerprints at the house, on the knife, on the note, anything. So like you were saying, Con, they didn't even check if the home had been mm. broken into or if it was a key was used. They didn't check any fingerprints inside any of the house. So it's really as if they were trying to do as little as possible. Yeah, if you're going to accuse someone of faking it, you may as well check that that's what they're doing first. Yeah. If they went and there were no, it was just her fingerprints, the angle of the knife implied that it was actually, could only have done by herself, etc. Then fair dues. So she's attention, but they've not even tried. They've not made the effort to look into it. No. Like, if you'd have tr- tried to look for fingerprints and it was only hers, then, like, don't get me wrong, you wouldn't assume naturally that she'd done it, but you'd think, maybe she could have done it. Like, maybe this is falsified. They didn't even try and see whether it was her or not. Ozzy didn't believe that Cindy would have been able to inject the needle or stab herself with the angles that it entered the body. So Ozzy doesn't even work in the police. And Ozzy knows. Like, come on. 
So Cindy wanted to remember anything that she could, and she actually agreed to go under hypnosis and take a polygraph test. Unfortunately, it was determined after that Cindy was too traumatised to be able to give useful information, so it's like, well, they could have, but it wouldn't have helped anyway. But doesn't that show something as well? If she's too traumatised to, like, you know, actually, like, remember something under hypnosis, doesn't that prove that there is actually something that has traumatised her? Exactly. That would be common sense. Let's not go too far. <laughs> Let's not try and use common sense when we're talking about these things, obviously. The stuff that even Jeremy Carl gets right. The police in Canada <laughs> could not. <laughs> After this, I mean, she'd been physically attacked. You'd at least hope that things would die down, but they don't. The harassing calls picked up with a great frequency and they were so short that traces couldn't be made of where they were from. One night, a strange incident occurred, and after everything she told the police, the police agreed that they'd set up a 24-hour surveillance outside the home, and they could also track all the incoming calls. They never checked the home for listening devices. They didn't do any more surveillance. They claimed that was enough proof. She was making it up. They, they... They cut all their ties with it. She was also, Cindy, after she's moved now, was seeing a, a new man. They didn't investigate him. They didn't question him. They didn't ask her information about him. They just, they wanted nothing to do with it anymore. What Ozzy believed was that the attacker really wanted to make Cindy look crazy. So by avoiding the house for 24 hours, not making any calls, anything like that, while the police was there, they knew that the police would then think she was doing it herself. It, it would have cast a lot of doubt on their story, which is like, yeah, us reading back, like, obviously that's what's happened. It just astounds me that you can... The next attack was a rapid escalation that left Cindy hospitalised. She was found near a frozen... No. She was found near frozen, suffering from hypothermia in a ditch over six miles from her home. She was left wearing a man's work boot and a glove, with a black nylon stocking wrapped around her neck. She had a black and blue eye and other numerous injuries and bruises to her body. After this attack, obviously fearing for her life, and she asked Agnes and Agnes's husband, Tom, to stay with her. It's nice, though, that she obviously could console in Agnes and, like, Agnes was there to support her because having to up and move your whole life, only telling Agnes and your mum and dad, like, at least she had some sort of support. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so, but, like, because, well, I mean, she's run away. She hasn't just gone, oh, I'm going to just move away from it. She's run away from a horrific situation. And, yeah, she's only told, like, three people what's going on. So... Yeah. It just sounds to me like this man has taken a lesson in, like, horror movies and the narrative around it. Mm. Yeah. Like, like, oh, better do some research. 
mm. went to blockbusters and bought like five horror films it is exactly like you said like scream like because you know scream is about being aware of horror film tropes and using them to do murders mm-hmm. yeah it's like strangling her with an island stocking first and then months later going back and doing the same thing again but taking it a bit further yeah like if he wanted to kill her he could have when he was alone with her and injected her with whatever he did he could have used the lethal though he wasn't he was completely taunting her enough for her to enough for the police and herself to think that she was going crazy well, I mean, it's essentially, it's torture, isn't it? It's, it's long-form torture that he's been doing to her because it starts, like, small. It starts with, like, some notes being mailed to her and then it gets more to, like, they're being dropped off and then there's, like, dead cats in her garden and then, like, her dog's being tied up and then she's being tied up and it's, like, there's so much escalation there. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it is some guy that's just read the fucking torture manual yeah because what's horrible is you know that you would be sitting there at night thinking well what's next what's the next thing mm-hmm. that's gonna happen it's gradually getting worse and you would always be waiting for the next step it must be like that is torture it's absolute torture that night that um Tom and Agnes stayed over they were awoken to noises in the basement when they went to see what was going on, they found the basement in flames completely. They went to try and call 911, but the phones were cut. Tom ran outside to go and ask a neighbour to call the fire department and saw a man standing in front of the house. Tom asked him to call 911, but the man instead started running down the street without saying a word. The police actually determined that the fire was deliberately set and labelled it as an act of arson. Little gold star comic sans, you did it. (laughs) At least you tried once. They searched the basement windows and they said that they couldn't find any usable fingerprints on the windowsill that the perp would have had to enter through. Now they say this is the only window they would have had to enter through this window. Therefore, they determined that the fire was staged. Yeah, like they didn't think, oh, he could have a key or, oh, he could have come through another window and gone down to the basement. Like, no. They said there's only one window in the basement. It must have been staged. So, as I said, them tried. Yeah. They didn't find any visible fingerprints either. So they did find fingerprints. Just none of them were usable. That's the thing. You can't just go, oh, it's staged because you've got partial fingerprints. Like, that. that's not how things work. Plus, they could have worn gloves. Like, this yeah. isn't super far in the past where people didn't understand about DNA. This is potentially someone that has, like, looked in... Well, I mean, clearly, who like, this person has fully looked into it, knows how to get caught or how not to get caught and yeah just because the police don't find any usable fingerprints doesn't mean that why would she set fire to her own fucking basement like exactly (laughs) cindy's mental health was obviously deteriorating and she'd seen the police multiple times after this but they claimed that 
Investigators had seen Cindy walking her dog alone at night, so she must not have been scared of the attacker. I mean, I'm scared of walking my dog at night, but she needs to shit. Exactly. Your dog needs to go on a walk. Like, how much victim blaming can you do before the worst thing can happen? And they said, oh, well, her dog's a little dog, so it couldn't have protected her, so she, she couldn't have been scared. It's like, no, you don't know what this woman is feeling after months, years of this trauma. And she's not safe and in her like, own home anyway, so why should, would she be more scared to go out? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like, you're not safe at home, so, like, the thought process is probably, well, it can't be much scarier out there than the death threats I'm getting and the dead cats I'm getting, like, so close to Cindy noted that her mental state was deteriorating under the pressure. So worrying that Cindy might be suicidal, her doctor permitted her to a psychiatric hospital. After 10 weeks of care, Cindy was able to go home. She then confessed to her family and friends that she'd been holding information back. She claimed that her attacker had threatened to kill her family if she outed them, which is horrible because she obviously like cares more about her family's lives than hers if she's willing to risk her life by not saying anything. Finally, Cindy went back to the police and she told them who she believed was behind the attack. She named her ex-husband, Dr. Roy Makepeace, who, does anyone want to know what he did? Was a psychiatrist. A fucking course he was. Red flag number two. So he knows exactly how to torment her and make her look like she's a crazy person while not getting caught himself. Yeah, also has access to drugs, everything. Also, it's always the fucking husband. spoke to her ex-husband, he just said that he thought Cindy was suffering from split personality disorder. And that was that. That was that. Was that. So although okay. corroborated, the medical staff and doctors who treated her while she was in the psychiatric ward never diagnosed her with this disorder. So she spent 10 weeks in a, a psychiatric hospital. No one diagnosed her with this. But her ex-husband said so, so they were like, okay. I mean, this speaks to a lot of attitudes. Mm. Like, I read, I only read uh, yesterday or the day before, I think, that in America, until 1976, women couldn't get credit cards. Oh, my God. No, they they could get credit cards, but only if their husband co-signed. Or father. Or father, yeah. Because we are owned by men. Of course. I said it last week about the death sentence. God, I wish that were me. <laughs> you mean you want to pay for everything? And I don't have to get a credit? Okay, cool, yeah, cool. I could stay at home. I could bake. I just love that. But that's my problem is like, I've got nothing wrong with people staying home, being housewives, house husbands. It's this weird new movement where women are like, my duty is to listen to my husband and to cook and clean and to obey him at all times. And I'm like, oh, no, this is weird. Yeah, we're going back now. 
Yeah. yeah. You can you don't have to work. You can stay at home if your partner makes enough money. Great. But for the whole I must obey. <laughs> no. It's creepy. It's like he's not your master. Like you you're not a fucking slave. I I don't understand this whole but it like yeah, no, it's it's this weird. They're like, "Oh, we're doing it like they did in the 50s." It's like Yeah, but that there's a reason that most of us don't live like that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, I think we should all get another cocktail because, spoiler alert, it only goes downhill from here. <laughs> Things. Hey, we are back for part two, suitably refreshed with new cocktails. And I'm really enjoying mine, though it does look a little bit like bad we. I was going to say that when I was trying to take photos for mine, I was like, do this look like a cup of weed, though? <laughs> it just, do, yeah. Oh, yeah, see, mine, your, yours, like, is, yours is nicer than mine. Using the real ingredients gives you the actual dark stuff. Oh, God, that's horrible. <laughs> Cindy had gone to the mall to do some grocery shopping and deposit her paycheck from the hospital, and she never made it home. The car was found in the shopping mall where she was last seen on May the 25th, 1989. When investigators went over the vehicle, they found blood on the driver's side door and items from her wallet were thrown about outside of the car. In the trunk, they found the groceries that Cindy had bought, along with a, a wrapped gift that she had forgotten to give someone. For two weeks, her family and friends were left to wonder where Cindy was. And then the gruesome discovery of her body shook everyone. So there was actually two weeks within her going missing and her body being found. She was found in the front yard of an abandoned house in a high traffic area with lots of pedestrian foot travellers. It initially seemed that she couldn't have been killed there when she was first reported missing because of all the foot traffic, she, her body would have been found sooner. But after the autopsy, it showed that she most likely did die the day that she disappeared. Her body showed numerous wounds, including what? An injection mark on her arm. It would actually then later be determined that it was a high dose of morphine. She was found with both her hands and her feet tied behind her body and around her neck the signature black nylon which had been used to strangle her it's what? like an individual serial killer yeah you know where they have their marks for each victim and what they do so you can tell it's just doing it to one person yeah it's like the little taunts that they normally give the police to the next victim but it was all her so weird like he's, he's almost it's, yeah because he's almost killed her multiple times yeah with the same techniques what was missing from the murder scene was actually the needle that was used to administer the morphine. This paragraph is going to make you both very angry. I suggest you both have a large, large gulp of your cocktail before I read it to you. I'm going to do it now. Oh, that was a bit. Oh, that was a big gulp. You need a bigger one. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I've heard that before. Mine's like basically <laughs> just. After everything, 
the police concocted the notion that Cindy had injected herself at the mall, discarded of the needle, then walked the mile and a half to the scene where she was found, then tied her feet and hands behind her back after strangling herself. So let me just read that to you again, because there is so many conflicting things. Cindy injected herself elsewhere, discarded the needle, walked a mile and a half, tied her hands and feet behind her back after strangling herself. So even if you believe all of that, it's very odd that her body was never discovered sooner, that her body was in the front lawn of a place that people are walking by on the daily and she was never discovered. Also, how do you tie your hands and legs behind your back once you've already strangled yourself? Like, this was the genuine yeah, yeah. suggestion. Why would you, but like, why would you strangle yourself and then tie your hands and feet behind your back? Like, what would be the point how, of that? How, Ellie, is the question. How would you do that? <laughs> Yeah, like how how physically would you do that? And the whole injecting herself, walking a mile and a half, and then being like, oh, well, better do something different, and yeah. decided to strangle herself with, a, with like a nylon stocking, and then tie herself up, and then collapse in a place where people are walking past all the time. Mm -hmm. And yet nobody ever discovers the body until two weeks later. Yeah, a massive dose of morphine and then having the dexterity to tie your hands around you, behind your back. Walk a mile and a half, then tie your... Like, I couldn't do that without morphine. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I struggle with my apron in work sometimes when I'm like, I'm just going to have to tie this <laughs> at the front today. It's not, a, it's not a around the back kind of day. <laughs> Like how it's delusional for them to even suggest that was a, was an option. But I mean, at this point, it just kind of shows that the police didn't didn't want to look at any other any other scenario. It was only she was doing this herself. They didn't. They weren't even entertaining the idea that this was someone else. Now, because if any one of us, I mean, because I I actually saw the crime scene photo of the discovery of the body and it's so clear that she couldn't have done it herself like it's blatantly obvious even if you take aside the morphine and um the the strangulation the physical act of tying herself up in the way that she was tied up it's impossible unless you're fucking disjointed or you're like a contortionist there is no way she could have done that so yeah, the police obviously would—they had the idea in their head that she was doing this herself. There was nobody else involved, and they were just picking facts to fit in with their version of events. Completely, I think they wanted to justify them not looking into it any further by being like, "Oh yeah, she obviously did it herself." When in reality, if you'd have looked at this a little bit closer, some of these tragic events may not have happened. Mm hmm. The official cause of death was morphine overdose. Even though the Royal Canadian Mounted Police claimed that it was a suicide or possibly an accident, an accident is even weirder than them trying to claim it was suicide. Who accidentally does that? No one. 
oh, I accidentally injected myself with loads of fucking morphine and then, for funsies, strangled myself <laughs> and tied myself. Accidentally, though, guys. Accidentally. Yeah. Well, in this, the coroner ruled both of these results out, which is like, thank God, because can you imagine that that was the story the family would have had to to live with? It's uh, heartbreaking. Ozzy believes that she had been taken and killed elsewhere, then her body was dumped shortly before it was discovered. Her private investigator also believes, along with her parents, that the police weren't interested in finding who was, att- who was attacking Cindy, but were more interested in trying to blame the victim. Which is like, well, we've said it the whole way through, haven't we? The 24 hours of surveillance, meaning that there was no one there, or... And it can be... It could be a case of devil's advocate here, it all being true, but not connecting in the way that the police are thinking. Yeah. Like she she may have had severe psychiatric issues, she may have made certain elements up, she may but the parts of it that don't make sense they still attribute to the stuff that's not. Yeah. They 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 continue to say, Oh well yeah, she was into it, but Again, her hands and feet were tied together behind her back. Yeah. And it just, it, it, that just blows my mind that they could be like, oh, yeah, she did that. And yeah, it's the things like, okay, yeah, she may have had psychiatric problems. She may have exaggerated the severity of the threats. She may have exaggerated the amount of threat she was getting. But like you say, with the evidence, when it comes down to the actual evidence, she could not have tied herself in that position. She could not have given herself morphine and then stabbed a letter through her own hand. Like these, when it comes down to the actual facts, that's where they're trying to push the blame and that's where it's it's not okay. Cindy's parents have both passed away, never truly knowing what happened to their daughter. Her sister Melanie Hack has written a book about her and runs a website dedicated to trying to find her sister's killer. Um, but other than that, there's not much to say apart from this one fact which breaks my heart, which I thought I'd just have to tell you. From the start of the threats to just before she was found dead, she'd actually reported over a hundred incidents of harassment to the police. Jesus. It's not a couple here and there. Over a hundred times she had personally gone to the police and reported these separate incidents and yet this was still the outcome for her life is absolutely heartbreaking it's it's insane to think that someone does all the right things like she goes to the police she reports the harassment she's saying this is going on help me please and a hundred a hundred times and they don't even bother to do a proper investigation saying oh we like you know that that arson that happened at, in your basement couldn't find any usable fingerprints therefore you must have done it like i actually because when you said you were covering this and we couldn't find a cocktail i was like googling bits and pieces from um the story but i didn't want to read sort of the whole thing just in case it kind of ruined my like or whatever and I actually read somewhere that her they didn't call it her boyfriend but like her like lover or whatever the, the guy she was seeing was actually a policeman yeah, yeah he was yeah, yeah. so one 
kind of things that I've seen people talk about on like message boards and forums and stuff is saying that maybe he actually whether or not he was the culprit but maybe he had something to do with the way that the police handled the situation um which I thought was quite interesting because I like obviously you know hadn't heard of this case before um but yeah I thought that was quite interesting because it's like yeah if he was involved a police officer would obviously know how not to get caught like the things that they would check for and would kind of understand the processes on the flip side is that if you were if your boyfriend was a policeman and you were reporting things to the police you would think that things would get done taken more seriously maybe like the police are saying oh she's doing this all to herself as if the scenario is that that is happening and her boyfriend who is in the police force is going yeah probably actually no you're right yeah. I completely agree with this investigation. I don't know, it angers me. And then it also breaks my heart that her parents have both died and they'll never, like, they'll, they'll never have had a chance to make peace with it. Mm-hmm. Even in the tiniest amount that you can make peace with what's done, they never would have had that opportunity. Yeah, it is. It's one of those just absolutely heartbreaking situations because. Number one, is it an absolute classic case of victim blaming, very clearly? Um, but yeah, her parents, her family, like her friends, never knowing actually what happened. But also then they know that the police didn't, like in a lot of other cases, it's like, we didn't know what happened, but the police did everything they could. In this case, it's like the police did the least amount possible that they could have done someone out there has got away with murder yeah and they likely will for the rest of their life yeah and i wish it wasn't a trope that we went through every single week of woman something bad happens to woman police don't really give a fuck Mm. and that is a theme that we encounter every single week I saw a um, Twitter thread and it was like, um, what would you do, like, personally if men didn't exist? And it was all these women saying, like, I'd go for a run at night time or I'd use both my headphones at once or I could ride my bike with my friend at night and not be terrified or I could go camping without a man having to be there. And it was all these things which is like, obviously not all men, and you you can't categorise, but to think that that's like the genuine feelings of most women out there, Mm. it's, it's, oh God, it's horrible. Yeah, it's such a bizarre thing because you think as women, like we are kind of conditioned to think certain ways and like there are always certain things you do like even basic things like you're in a club with your friends you all go to the toilet together and you all take your drinks with you like when I see in like films and tv shows women like leaving their drinks at the bar I'm like what the fuck are you doing like take it with you it's always like really annoyed me because it's always been the thing you never put your drink down you never turn away you don't go walking on your own at night like you there are so many things that you're just used to doing even like when I used to get like the bus on my own like coming home from the pub or whatever I used to like you know text people at every single stop saying I am here now I am here now or I'd be on the phone saying like oh yeah we're just here 
and just to feel like like safe quote well, unquote it's an ever time that i've gone to town with connor and haven't stayed on the phone with him the whole time i was in a taxi home yeah <laughs> normal that connor would take me to a taxi and i would stay on the phone to him until i was literally putting the doors the keys into the door of my house yeah like, it was and like, normal you can see because obviously i don't have the experience of exactly the same as you necessarily but i've always been friends with girls and it was always weird like when we'd go out and one of our friends would get a bit tipsy and go off with a but like we'd meet a group of boys one of them one of the girls would get a bit tipsy go off with one of the boys and we'd be panicking about her and the they time. wouldn't and they wouldn't be worried about their mate. We'd be yeah. texting her like, Are you still alive? And she'd be like, Yes, we're just having a snog. They'd be like, You still alive? Yes, we're just having a shag. And it's like, no, but are you still okay? Yeah. And it's not a concern that goes through men's heads whatsoever. Yeah. Con, do you remember in when the policeman I don't even know if you did it, because I'm pretty sure they split us into boys and girls. A policeman came and spoke to us and it was about how you can hold your keys in your knuckles. It was about how to hold your key. If you're ever walking alone at night, how to hold your keys within your knuckles that you could, like if there was an attack, you could defend yourself. And it's like, no. were boys taught that? No, well, for for year eight girls, it's a defense mechanism. For year eight boys, it's a fucking deadly weapon. I would not trust a 13-year-old boy with that. Exactly. And that's, like, that's the thing, it's thought to be, it's worth the risk of teaching girls that because they might need it i do it now actually i do but. it still. i do it yeah like the amount of times i've like walked back from like a pub or even actually a couple of weeks ago i walked to the shop like late and i mean it couldn't have been that late because obviously shops now aren't open as late as they normally are but i was walking back from the shop and it had kind of got very dark like it'd been sort of dark and then it got very dark and i walked back with keys between my fingers and I felt stupid as I was doing it because I was like god what like I've d- I do this every time I walk on my own at night and nothing's ever happened and I went to take them out and I was like yeah but what if this is the one time that you need it yeah. back because it's like such a stupid thing because you think yeah no I've always been fine I've always been safe and then you think the one time that you get overconfident and think, yeah, I don't need that. I don't need to ring my friend. I don't need to do whatever. And that that's the point that... It's like that ever. scene in sex education where they all, like, admit to somehow having sexual harassment or being sexually assaulted. And it's like, in reality, this is a thing that all women whether it's happened to them or not, majority it has, have to consider in Mm -hmm. their day-to-day lives. Not Mm -hmm. even in in a few circumstances, like in their day-to-day life. That's a particularly sad bit to end on. (laughs) Yeah, we talk about murder normally, and it's so far removed from us. But yeah, in this case, as I said, it's just pointing out that women in crime in life tend to be put at some kind of disadvantage in Mm. it's always a fun way to end a podcast well we'll see you next week guys thanks for listening but first molly has a little joke to lighten the mood (laughs) i'm laughing already (laughs) oh god this happens every fucking time you tell a joke (laughs) i know and then i ruin it because i've hyped it up why does snoop dog carry an umbrella i don't know why does snoop dog carry an umbrella
Info Drizzle. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. They have to be bad jokes. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the only kind we tell. Moles, I just... I'm obsessed with your reaction to jokes. Every time you try and tell me a funny story, a joke, anything, you laugh for like 45 minutes. And sometimes the thing you're saying isn't even that funny to me because I, I wasn't there or whatever. <laughs> you hide it so much. It oh, hides stuff in my head. Like I say it four or five times in my head before I say it. <laughs> well, um... Thanks, everyone, for listening, and that's um, a sign-off from us. And See you next Thursday. Bye! 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 I Could Murder a Cocktail is an independent podcast produced by Ellie Layden, Molly Dacey, and Connor Hall, researched by Ellie Layden and Molly Dacey, and edited by Connor Hall.